Welcome to the IP Obsessed podcast with the IP Duo, where we discuss the intersection of intellectual property and our lives. We will share real life stories, common mistakes and misconceptions, as well as successes. Whether you're a founder, an investor, an inventor, or an executive of a Fortune 100 company, intellectual property is everywhere, and it's vital for success of any business. I'm Michelle Ciotola. I'm a trademark and copyright attorney. I help companies build and protect their brands and creative content. And I'm Tina Dore, and I'm a patent attorney and a PhD chemist, and I help companies protect their inventions. Together, we're the IP duo. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of IP Obsessed with the IP Duo. Hey, Tina, how you doing? I'm Michelle. Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, so we're coming into a new month. Things are looking up generally. I'm feeling optimistic. So um, what are you looking forward to this month? Um, well, you know, it's almost March 2022, which I can't mm-hmm. Um, and I was just thinking today, as I add another trip to my calendar, I've got five trips coming up and I haven't done five trips in like two years. Um, I've got Chicago, San Diego, two New York trips, and then one Hartford trip. <laughs> I can't wait for you to come up to Hartford. It's, it's funny because yeah. you're a little out of practice, but yeah, I think that last one I'm looking the most forward to. Yes. I'm yeah. looking forward to, to that one. That'll be fun. What about you? What do you have to look forward to? Uh, well, I, I have trips, but not quite as many as you right now on the books. But uh, I think, you know what, I'm looking for something I never thought I'd be look, say I'm looking forward to because I never thought I would really do a lot of it is that I just was asked to be an assistant coach for my daughter's lacrosse team. Um, and I <laughs> haven't played lacrosse. So my experience in lacrosse is really sitting on the sidelines of my son's lacrosse games and my daughter's lacrosse games. And by the way, the rules are very different from between men and women lacrosse. So hopefully I don't mix those up and start coaching my girls wrong. Wait, so you never played lacrosse? No. You didn't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. good for you. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be really fun. I'm, I'm excited. I'll have some of my, my cheerleader girls on the lacrosse team and get to know more girls. And it's just a really fun, fun outside of work activity. Yeah. So Michelle is not only going to be an assistant lacrosse coach, she mm-hmm. is a cheerleading coach for her daughter's team. Um, never a cheerleader though. It was never a cheerleader. And that's just really impressive to me. Uh, and she took her to the championships. Yeah. Super proud of them. Uh, amazing. Okay, should we jump into it? Yeah, let's get into everything. So uh, this is our uh, welcome to the next episode of IP Obsessed. And today we're going to be talking about trademarks. And I, as a patent lawyer, will be interviewing Michelle, a trademark lawyer, and I will be asking questions that I don't know the answers to, genuine questions. And we'll be talking at a high level about what exactly trademarks are. And uh, how do you go about selecting the right mark for your business, for your good or your service or whatever um, your business involves? So let's just start with a general question. Michelle, say what exactly is a trademark and what's the difference between a mark and a trademark? Okay, so so great question. Um, 
So a trademark is, it can be really any word, name, symbol, slogan, design, or device. It could be packaging design. It could be a color, sound, touch, smell, really any combination um, that identifies the source of the goods or services used in connection with the mark. So it's, it's designed to distinguish your offerings from those from others in the marketplace. So you think of, of trademark or mark as it's really, it has a lot, it's intertwined with your brand. Um, it's, it's identifying the source of your offerings. So Tina, you asked the question of what's the difference between a trademark and a mark. So trademark is technically the, um, a, a, a mark that identifies goods. So, you know, if you're, we'll go back to our Coca-Cola example. So a trademark is going to be something that that identifies the the product itself. So 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 good. So a soda. Um, whereas a service is going or a, a service mark can be is technically what you use to identify services. So um, you know we offer legal services. So our trademarks would be the offering would be a service mark. Um, and generally. Most people will use trademark interchangeably to identify uh, the goods or the services, um, but technically a mark would be the appropriate name to encompass everything. Got it. Yeah. So what are the different, you showed the Coca-Cola, everyone mm-hmm. recognizes that Coca-Cola, that stylistic um, scripts. So what are the different mm-hmm. types of marks? Okay. So um, great question. So, the first type of mark that we will talk about is what's considered a word mark. So, you know, using my example, the word mark would be the Coca-Cola name. Now, um, you see on the bottle here that it is in a stylized font. So you can have Coca-Cola as a as a word mark, and that would cover any kind of font that you wanted to use. And then the stylized word is a separate type of trademark. Um, and it would be, again, it would be the Coca-Cola in this very distinct font. Um, another example is uh, a design mark. So this is something that it's, you know, so think of that as like as a logo. Uh, and I have here um, my Aaron Condren metallic gel pens. And if you can see here, the logo here is um, right next to the Aaron Condren name. And uh, it's just uh, kind of, I don't even know what to, how to describe it, like a little floralette mm-hmm. design. Uh, and so you can see when I see that, um, because this is one of my my favorite organizational brands. So when I see that, I know what I'm getting. I know it's coming from Aaron Condren, even if I don't see see that that name right there. Um, I'll just I have to share. Michelle got me Aaron Condren. Can you see that? Metallic <laughs> stationery, and it's interesting because it's that same little like floral design, but it's this is gold. So it just shows that, like you were saying, that it can be. The color can be different. It doesn't, you know, you're getting like the design itself and not exactly. the design and not like necessarily the color or the font like in Coca-Cola. Yeah. And that's a great point too, Tina, because um, you can also get a, a stylization or a, a logo in a specific color as well. So if a specific color combination is important to your brand, um, you can file a trademark application. You can get a trademark in that specific color combination. So Coca-Cola would have um, the white lettering on a red background. 
So this label alone has so many potential trademarks or not potentially Coca-Cola company definitely has these marks. So they're going to have Coca-Cola in just a plain script. They're going to have Coca-Cola in a stylized script. They're going to have Coca-Cola, um, you know, in, in specific coloring, depending on what, what the product is. So there's so many options when you're, when you're deciding how to build out a trademark portfolio, um, as far as what marks to claim rights to. Okay. got it. Because when I think of Coca-Cola, I think of, and this is, I have the same can again, <laughs> and it looks the same, but when I think of Coca-Cola, they, you know, I think of red, they yeah. red, you know, with everything, mm-hmm. but it's, it's interesting that, you know, that they don't have to use red, probably. They probably right. and then, protecting the word itself, you mm-hmm. know, separate yeah. color. Exactly. And, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before, Tina, where um, you think about specific colors with companies and and Starbucks, and I don't have a Starbucks cup with me right now, although I wish I did. Um, You know, when you think about you think about the 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 um, the logo and and Starbucks has protection for the logo in black and white, but it also has protection for the logo in that green color. And that's going to give them the ability to enforce their rights against just a logo that's similar, but also something that has a similar color combination, but maybe the, the logo itself, the design itself varies a little bit, you know? And so, so when we're talking about the types of marks, it's important to also keep in mind that um, it can be really any combination of that word design stylization um, with, with or without color. Okay. Those those are tend to be what people think of when they think of, um, of the types of marks, but another really fun area is what's non-traditional trademarks. And so, like I said before, a trademark is really if if a consumer is identifying, seeing whatever it is, and they're they're associating it with the source, with the company that's offering those goods or services, that can function as a mark. So examples of non-traditional marks are, um, you know, would be like a color, uh, repeating pattern, motion, sound. So again, we'll go back to our Aaron Contran example. And I, you know, I don't know if this is a registered mark, but this design right up here, this repeating um, floral design, that would be, uh, yeah, oh, that's a great, (laughs) much better, Tina. Um, That would be a repeating pattern that would function as as a mark. And again, as a consumer, um, I see that repeating pattern and I associate it with the source of, of these goods. I know, I know it's coming from, from Aaron Condren. Um, another, and, and I guess other examples of the repeating patterns you see a lot on, on bags would be like a Louis Vuitton repeating pattern. Um, and then sound, you can register a sound mark. So I'm going to play this. This is the, um, MGM line. This is a register. So... Yeah, right. You recognize that, you know, that you're going to get, you know, seated for a good feature film. Right. Um, You know, so so when we're talking about trademarks and brands, you want to think beyond just that simple written word. Right. So many ways to to protect your your brand. So if I was an inventor and or I'm sorry, inventor, I'm always thinking you're in the patent. (laughs) <laughs> if I was an entrepreneur and I, you know, start this company, um, but I don't have a lot of money, um, and I'm just starting out, but I, you know, want to do the right thing, protect my brand. Um, what do, you know, do solo entrepreneurs start with, you know, one filing, two filings, you know, ideally you want to build out your portfolio, like you were describing with right. Coca-Cola, but like, where do you start? Yes. 
Yeah. So I like to always take a kind of a pragmatic, practical approach to this. So the answer is like, you know, you don't want to go and, and start filing all kinds of, of marks for all these different options. So typically it's going to be um, going back to that that word mark without any kind of stylization, typically that's gonna give you what we call the broadest scope of protection. So when you are looking at marks, um, especially for, well, for any company, you think of that as an asset of the company. So you wanna create the strongest asset in, in your branding as you can. Um, now, when we're talking about also selecting marks, it's important to select a mark that's like, like I said, it's gonna be a real strong mark. Um, and we have the, you know, the technical term us trademark attorneys like to use is, is called the spectrum of distinctiveness. And really what we do is we kind of like put our marks in different buckets and, and that kind of helps determine how, how strong it is. Um, so the, the more distinctive the mark on the spectrum of distinctiveness, the stronger it is and the greater its level of legal protection. So at the very top, and I'll explain a little and give some examples in a minute about what each type of mark means. But at the very top, we have a fanciful mark, and then we have arbitrary, we have suggestive, and then we get into marks where the uh, ability to protect is a little bit questionable. And those are our descriptive marks. And then finally, we have the generic terms. And that's really something that you cannot get trademark protection for. So Going back to the top um, of the spectrum of distinctiveness. So we look at the fanciful marks. So these are really made up words. So these are, they have no connection whatsoever to goods or services um, that they're used on because they have no meaning other than as a brand. So right off the bat, you have, these are the strongest marks. Um, so examples would be Exxon for um, a petroleum product or service, um, Adidas for shoes, or a Motorola for phone. There's no connection. These are, these are, you know, coin terms. And then we move down to the arbitrary marks. Again, still very strong marks. These are existing words that have no relation to the goods or services that they're used on or in connection with. So some examples of these are going to be um, Apple for computers or phones, um, Sprint for phone services, uh, Crocs for, for shoes or uh, Pandora for um, music streaming services. So there's no connection between the word, even though it is a word in, in the English or other language and the goods or services that you're offering. So then we, oh, go ahead. Question about these terms, fanciful, descriptive, generic. Now, are these terms that obviously they're legal terms, um, but are they terms, do you have to assign the mark when you, you know, select your mark and submit your trademark application, mm -hmm. you have to say this is a descriptive marker? No, you don't. And okay. yeah, no, you don't, you don't actually identify what it is, but it's really how the consumer is going to perceive the mark. And so when you are filing an application, the um, examiner at the, the trademark office is going to take a look at how, how distinctive it is. Okay. And do they use those words? Yes, they do. They do. Okay. Yeah, they do. They use, well, they use mostly, you'll see mostly generic or descriptive when they're, when you're um, looking at, at, when they're looking at an application. So um, just jumping back in, and this is, you know, and it, it is, it is tends to be a little bit harder when you're starting out to pick an arbitrary or fanciful mark because you are, you know, as a, as a new product or service, you want to be informing your consumer. So there's a natural tendency to go 
with uh, suggestive or descriptive marks, even though it is, you know, generally advisable to pick a uh, fanciful or arbitrary mark. But but suggestive suggestive marks are are fine. They're um, they are not as strong. They don't give you as broad a um, scope of protection. And it's kind of like entering a little bit of a questionable territory because sometimes marks. You know the 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 line between um, you know a suggestive and a descriptive mark can be a little bit vague. So you want to you, you know I always caution my clients that you know when we're talking suggestive, we might be running into descriptive issues. But a suggestive mark is one that suggests some feature, characteristic, quality, or purpose of the goods or services they are used on or in connection with, but they don't immediately describe it. So that becomes really the issue is do consumers have to give some thought into understanding what goods or services you're offering, or do they immediately know what you're offering by by viewing the mark? So again, these still function as marks, but they're not very strong. Um, some examples are copper tone for suntan lotion. So there's there's a connection there, right? Copper tone for suntan. Uh, Airbus for aircraft. Uh, Microsoft for software. Uh, I like the example staples for office supply stores. Um, or Caterpillar for construction equipment. And then we get into descriptive. And again, I, I always say that there is a, there's such a tendency to go for these descriptive marks because you want your consumer to know what you're offering. But if in doing so, they you don't necessarily have um, have a trademark because consumers don't know that they're not associating that goods, your goods with, with the source. So a descriptive mark is one that immediately describes the goods or services or some characteristic um, thereof. And I'm going to get a little bit into the legalese here. I'm going to say they are not what we call inherently distinctive. Um, so they, they are not immediately perceived by consumers as a trademark or um, as a source of the goods, but they can nevertheless function as a mark, uh, at least in most countries, when they have um, acquired distinctiveness or what we call it, we call that secondary meaning. So again, it's once they've been used and consumers now have gotten used to seeing that mark, um, and connecting it with this, with the source of the goods or services. Now it's be, now you have established some some trademark rights in in that term. So examples here would be a park and fly for airport airport parking and valet services, a children's place for retail store services, um, or zero for no calorie soft drinks. Uh, when we're talking about descriptive marks, we're not just necessarily talking about that connection between the goods and services in a term, but we can also talk about, um, it can be a geographically descriptive mark. So Canadian for beer, uh, you can have a laudatory mark, something that's really, you know, uh, talking about, you know, okay, blue ribbon for beer or gold medal for, for flower, right? So it's, uh, a positive attribute that you want to tout for your product, but it can become a, a trademark. It does acquire distinctiveness and have a um, a connection with the source. Uh, and then the the other example would be um, you know surnames. So you know door for legal services or entertainment services in the form of a podcast. Um, you know it's a surname is not automatically granted. Uh, trademark protection, but it can, because someone can associate um, the surname or the last name with the goods or services. And a really great example of this would be Ford for automobiles. And then of course, we talked earlier about those non-traditional trademarks, um, 
those are typically considered descriptive marks or not, not um, inherently distinctive initially because their primary association is not as a trademark. Now, what if I, Tina Door, wanted to start selling doors? Like, you know, <laughs> building doors. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, so, okay, well, so door, right? So if you want to start selling doors, we're getting into that generic um, part of the, the spectrum of distinctiveness. And and generic is, um, that, that that's really words that define the product. So you can't have apple for apples or sneaker for athletic shoes because you can't take those words out of the, the language, right? You cannot promote- I spelled it, like I spell my last name, D-O-R-R. So that's where it gets interesting because I- you might be able to make a claim that it is your surname. Now, the issue there is that you, regardless, you're going to have, uh, it's going to be an uphill battle, right? Because, you know, even if your door selling windows <laughs> or something else, um, you know, it's D-O-R-R. So it's not, it's not, I would, as your attorney, I would argue that it's not generic because it's right. a different spelling and there's a connection as a surname. Now, by arguing that it's a surname, I'm now setting us up to argue that it's, then, then we're going to have to deal with the descriptiveness issue, which is better than a generic term because a generic term cannot be registered. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. That was so helpful. Um, I wanted to ask you one more question okay. um, about selecting the right mark. So at a high level, you told me you want to be as creative as possible, mm -hmm. um, avoid anything generic that's, you know, you can get marks that are descriptive or suggestive, but ideally you want to be very creative. Um, how do people go about selecting a mark? Like, how do you actually do it? I know there are consulting firms that do it. Like, do you have an, a feel for how a company would go? Oh, about yeah, that's um, people do it in a variety of ways. The one thing I, we won't do <laughs> as attorneys is I won't give advice. I won't give suggestions for marks because I don't want to suggest something that ultimately isn't available or gets you in trouble. But yeah, there's marketing agencies that will, um, will help you select marks that will do all kinds of studies. Um, a lot of times it'll come internally from a company, um, it, you know, just sitting around throwing out ideas. Um, but there are absolutely companies out there that, that are advertising agencies that will, will decide, um, and they'll, they can do all sorts of studies, um, to determine what's going to evoke the right feel for your brand. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got and it. then come to us and we'll do the clearance on it, which right. is another, another episode of, of the, the so podcast. You have your mark before someone comes to you. So have a mark in mind and then mm -hmm. you'll obtain the mark, clear it. And yeah. Yeah. You can even have a couple in, a, a in mind. Okay. So you can help them. If they have some ideas, you can help. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Got it. Yep. Okay. Well, this was helpful, Michelle. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I learned a lot. It's a fun topic for, well, for me, I'm, you know, I'll always geek out to the trademark stuff. Well, it's helpful for me too, because people ask me these questions all the time. And it's a refresher. I remember from law school, but you know, I don't practice it. So, so you know, and Peter, I have to I have to tell you a funny story because you you are my son's patent attorney. When yeah. he was when he was working on it, we had many a conversation over lunch when he was selecting his brand and why certain brands or certain marks would have been better than others. So it was a, it was definitely a fun conversation with a then ten year old about um, picking an important. Picking it, selecting the ideal yeah. mark. 
Learning early, and he's going to be patent pending. I'm going to write his application. Ah, so exciting. <laughs> um, okay, should we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I think we can do that. We've got a disclaimer. Um, this isn't legal advice. For this is for discussion purposes only. We're not creating an attorney-client privilege. Um, I'm Tina Dor. I'm a patent attorney. I'm Michelle Ciotola. I'm a trademark attorney. And we'd love to hear your feedback if you have topics that you'd like us to discuss or if you'd like to visit us on a future episode, please reach out. And yeah, we'd love to. IP Duo. Yeah. And just so one more thing, we want to give another shout out to George who created our music. Shout out to George. <laughs>